Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. And we are here to talk about the comics being released on March 22nd, 2022, starting with Deathstroke, Inc. number 7, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Steven Segovia. Zach, start us off with this one. Yeah, so I said that we should talk about this one because of the... Uh, the re- What's his name? I already forgot. Re, it's not respawn. I, I was gonna say revive, um, reboot. Reboot. By Dan Dio. <laughs> what? 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 I'm here. What? What happened? What happened? Reboot. Reboot. We talking about Bob here? Um, Bob and Dot and I have uh, never Enzo? seen one frame of reboot. Oh, reboot's oh. good. It's a, it's an underrated classic. <laughs> Yogi Yogi Bear. <laughs> Hey Jim Lee! Hey Jim Lee! Hey Jim Jones! <laughs> Who would be the park ranger to Dan the Dio's Yogi Bear? Oh, uh, Diane Nelson. Diane Nelson? Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say Scott Snyder. No, they, they had they, they no, had a, Scott they had Snyder a... successfully. Uh, oh, hang on, yeah, well, yeah. Edit, edit that out. Nope, the whole thing, the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. So, Zach, what do you think about this issue? <laughs> we record one hour later, and we turn it to fucking put a, goofballs. Put a time, put a timestamp on all of this, and dude, nope. Some, oh, come on, you gotta. <sighs> Okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, our, our folks love it. Um, so yeah, I have not caught up. I'm not. I've not been current with Death Deathstroke Inc. I meant to catch up for this, but time did not permit. Um, but I wanted to talk about this issue because of the respawn thing, which also may have been introduced in may may have already been revealed in Robin, and I'm also not caught up in that. <laughs> but I don't think we've talked about Robin in a while either. So. Uh, this this issue features Rose and Respawn going to meet Deathstroke to um, essentially do like a, he, he basically gets like married essentially you know it's like and Respawn is your son yeah um, <laughs> which because- is the second time we've seen this happen to Slade well because he thought it was he thought it was uh, Damien back in back in priest run yeah right and this very much kind of feels like of, of every of any deathstroke ink issue i've read this one feels the most in line and in the spirit of the priest deathstroke run which is maybe another reason that i wanted to talk about it um i agree with that as well yes because it, it really is just slade is like slade is just i don't know if this was the thesis of the priest run but in my mind, an important aspect of the priest run is that Slade is a bad dad who just wants to be a good dad. Yes. And like, here is Williamson giving him chance, giving him that chance again. He's like, he's like, all right, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to be a dad again. And um, it it does feel like in line with that specific arc in in that run where where you are led to believe that Damien might be. Slade's son and it turns out that Respawn is a clone of Damien with Slade's DNA intermingled so it's also kind of a bit of like a Connor Kent yep vibe and also yeah. also also he's basically Roxas because he's just Damien with 
light hair color. Um, so it's uh, it's just it's checking all my boxes. So and, and the um, I, I also wanted to specifically praise the Segovia art throughout, mm-hmm. which I thought was very good for for what is you know Segovia is kind of a, a fill in here. I don't know if I don't know that he's been on any other issues, but it's it's very good. I think I think it's better than the art in the previous issue. Um, I agree which, with that. Uh, so I I enjoyed this issue quite a bit, but continue to find this this series or the issues in this series like surprisingly breezy when I read them. In a good way or in a bad way? In not in in a in a like almost kind of like neutral way. <laughs> like it's it is neither with good or bad. <laughs> it's, it's neither good or bad. Uh, nothing is good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I agree with that, Zach. Except I think it's good. I, I think it's settled into, um, you know, how great Howard Porter art, notwithstanding. I wasn't a big fan of the way that this series opened. Um, I think it was kind of a misstep, actually to do like a monster of the week type thing for the first few issues. Um, not because I don't think there's merit to monster of the week, but because I think it's much better being what it is doing right now than being what it was trying to do back then. <laughs> Does that may make I, sense? Yes. Yeah. May, may I offer a theory about that? that it's playing for time to line things up yes exactly that yeah i fucking hate when comics do that it's so but you're right go go on sorry what i was gonna say is i feel like especially with something like a dark crisis where there are so many moving parts that have to be like just right to get those big events that happen that sometimes they're like we will have this book to tie into this but we can't start it right away and also maybe they felt like if we start it at a certain point it will lose it won't it won't have the impact as if the book is running for a little while. So I don't know exactly why it was done this way, but it definitely seems like those first few issues were to some degree playing for time. And we talked about it. I think it was last time how there were like three double crosses in six issues. Mm-hmm. And at least one of those seemed like a play for time as well. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just don't like when, when comics do that, especially like I said, the last couple issues, this has been firing on more cylinders than than it was before, too, I think. Um, but I like the pace a lot. And you're right. It does harken back to Priest's Deathstroke um, in a thematic sense. And I, I think... <sighs> I, I think it is an intentional extension of that without I'm surprised at how little attention it called to that arc with Damien, you know, mm-hmm. as I'm reading this, I was like, Oh, they're going to literally reference his like paternity case against Bruce or whatever. <laughs> and no, they didn't. They, they let the reader draw those conclusions if they had read priests run and it made this more rich by association in your mind rather than in the text. And I think that that's something I criticized Williamson and maybe it wasn't Williamson. Maybe it was Dennis Culver, right? Over in uh, Justice League Incarnate for 
taking these concepts that are um, ethereal in nature or, or, or that other writers have played around the edges of and making them overly literal. Mm-hmm. And I was happy to not see him do that here. Not only because I think it's just smarter writing, but it makes for a better comic. It, it makes for a smoother read. And if you're a dedicated reader, if you're somebody who knows their DC history, there's a level here that you you don't you don't need for this story, but if you know it, it enriches it a little bit. And I, I, I appreciated that. And I do yeah. like Slade. I like Slade as the it's so silly because he's the world's greatest assassin or for hire or whatever. But when he goes into like good dad mode, <laughs> God damn it. I buy into it. <laughs> yeah. I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. So this, um, <clears throat> I think in a way this entire run has hearkened back to the priest run in ways that maybe we haven't been talking about or because it's just been subtle, but we've seen Slade a fair amount since that run ended. And this is the first time anybody's mentioned anything like in Williamson's pitch for this series. It sounds like, you know, he tried to be a good father again and then he failed at that. And so this is like his, this is what he does after the failure of the end of the priest run. And while that was sort of explicitly stated in the press materials, it's never really said that way in the book itself. And so this is the first, although you know we've that idea was planted by Williamson months ago, this is the first time we're actually seeing that sort of idea play out in this title. And I think it works really, really well. Like you said, Vince, I'm glad that it's not, I'm glad there's not an editor's box that's like, doesn't this sound familiar? Go back to Deathstroke number whatever through whatever to, to find out more. Yeah. I think it's just a good thing to to pepper in there for like for like you said for the people who are really who are really into this. Um, but I also think that the Segovia art did Segovia do work on Deathstroke? I feel like he did. Uh, I don't remember. Pagulian did, and I often like yes. Pagulian and Segovia have somewhat similar styles. I'm looking this up quickly to see if I can find something. Well, while you're looking it up, I'll talk about Segovia for a bit because Segovia is a, an artist who I, I never dislike when his name shows up on a book, but I'm never blown away. It never really occurs to me as art. Like I, I would never have anything to say about it. Right. Mm-hmm. I, almost can't believe that this is Segovia because of how like how stylized it is at times especially with the kids they almost some of these scenes almost come off as like uh shonen manga action scenes there are a couple of pages where he is like aping Gleb Melnikov so well on like Yes. The like the page with Robin and like some of the flashes to the tournament stuff. Yeah. And and I don't like some I don't like to say sometimes that like artists are like copying or like aping other artists because it makes it sound like, oh, this this artist is artist isn't as good as this other artist. And so they're trying to like mimic their style. 
I think Segovia is a good artist. I think he's probably one of the most consistent kind of, um, I guess, like house style artists that DC has, for lack of a better term, or kind of like reliable fill-in artists. And, and I've thought that like ever since he did that, he did the main story in the Multiversity Guidebook, with the one yes. with like yes. Commandy and, and some of the New God stuff. And like, oh, yeah. that was fantastic. And so I, I think he's a really good artist who maybe just doesn't get a lot of chances to shine. And, and I think that this is a, a, a shining example of what he can do. Yeah. It looks like Segovia might have done some covers for Deathstroke, mm-hmm. but not any interiors. I found at least one cover he did. Well, the, the my impression of Segovia from the past, which is which is, I think there's been a glow up since then, and it's it definitely happened. Multiversity happened after the thing that I'm going to reference, so so it makes sense. Um, remember that X book with the alt universe gay Wolverine? Yes, um, that um... he drew. Greg Pak wrote that, I think. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah, I can't remember what it was called, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I read that book and I reviewed it for MultiversityComics.com. Um, and I remember thinking that it seemed like Segovia was taking shortcuts um, in his art. And I think like, I, I hate to say that because the artist, you know, I know less about comic art than a comic artist you know has in their pinky finger about about the subject but um i totally mangled that uh analogy but you know what i'm saying like yes but but the thing is like in those issues i can just remember how many times like faces were obscured in shadow for seemingly no reason eyes were completely like eyes in particular it was like he didn't want to draw eyes the number of times that he drew just blacked out spaces where the eyes should have been and that was a lasting impression with me for him for a while and now i'm reading this and it could like my impression of him couldn't be more different because i uh, this stuff looks great to me um so yeah, from for I see what you're saying, Zach, because I do remember the the multiversity guidebook. But unfortunately, my first impression of him went back a little earlier than that when I think he wasn't doing. I think objectively he wasn't doing as good a work mm-hmm. back then. I want to say that was like 2011, 2012, yeah, something like that. That sounds right about when that book would have been coming out. Yeah. Uh, whereas guidebook was what, like 2014, 2015, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in the ballpark. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I think we're all essentially saying the same thing, which is this book looks great. <laughs> and, uh, and we're very glad that Segovia is, is doing this issue. I want to go back to something you said, Zach, about him uh, aping Melnikoff. And again, just like confirming what you were saying, which is that's not a negative thing. I think it's nice when books that are connected feel connected in more than just that certain characters show up, but when the art is similar, there's a certain vibe to it. And that's one thing I'll say against the Howard Porter art, which was quite good in this book for a while. And I forget who did last issue. It was somebody, it was not Howard Porter, but 
the Porter art did not necessarily feel connected to the Robin art. And now that these books are so intertwined, it's nice to see those books kind of visually reflect one another a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, like I, I, Howard Porter can draw anything he wants all the time. He's great. Um, I just happen to really like the sort of the, the, the similarity between these two books for this week. I really enjoyed that. I agree. Um, because they are very closely intertwined and I think that, I think that is both that can be a good or a bad thing, depending on how much you are buying into like the Williamson verse right now. I, I kind of think it's crazy how, how why like large the scope of what Williamson is doing is at DC right now. I, I really can't think of an artist or, or a creator who has had kind of such like a wide reaching story or like multiple stories going on at once at DC in a really long time. Um, like, like Williamson has a story going on right now that is being told between Robin Deathstroke, Batman, and then he is all, he's about to do it all into a crossover and then he has seeds being planted for another crossover that is crossing over into this crossover or is like one is a prelude to the other that's being seeded in like all these other projects it's it just it's some of like the best um like shared universe comicking i think that i've seen in a while just from a construction standpoint even if i'm not always like loving or like here for each individual story if that makes sense yeah sure um like this is you know the the dumb stuff i love about like the x books or whatever you know about how how closely connected and tied in everything is and honestly a lot of what williamson's doing is better connected and flows better than anything the x books ever did what I'm really interested in is, you know, we know that Chip Zdarsky is coming in as the new Batman writer, and we know that Dark Crisis is going to shake stuff up. I wonder if the Williamson stuff will have impact felt after Dark Crisis, or if this is sort of the the final piece of his sort of DC master plan for the last couple of years. I, I kind of hope that he sort of passes the baton after this. I, w- I would like to see another creator come in or like a group of creators come in and do something. Not that I've, again, not that I've not enjoyed or am enjoying what Williamson's doing, but, you know, he, he's kind of been a leading voice at DC for three or four years now. Oh, longer than that. I mean, he, he was one of the... You figure what what he was doing in the Flash when Rebirth started was pretty important. Yeah, but and like that's right around the time that like not long after that is when Metal happened. Well, I'm I'm kind of thinking like when I when I think of like Williamson really kind of like coming into his power was when like he and Snyder and Tynion kind of became the like Trinity of DC after Metal. I know he was doing like Flash and that was kind of important beforehand, but like it really came into full play when like the justice league books launched, which was like 2017, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So like five years. 
Yeah. Anything else to say about Deathstroke? Uh, tease for Dark Crisis at the end. Yes. Yes. A, ve- a very silly one. I love Feels it. Feels de- such Infinite Crisis vibes. I, I cannot. Yeah. It 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 feels so much like Infinite Crisis. I can't shake it. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, we got a lot to talk about this week, so let's let's take a break here, and we come back where we have four more books to talk about. So uh, we got to shut up. Stay tuned. We'll never shut up. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with the finale of Shadows of the Bat in Detective Comics number 1058. And we're going to shut up. <laughs> uh, written by Marika Tamaki. <laughs> illustrated by Amon K. Nahuel Pond. Uh, this is just an epilogue. Best issue of the series. Are you are you being serious? I I love. <laughs> Remember what I said about uh, the last issue of Tynion's uh, 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 Batman run? No, where I was like, I cannot wait to get to that issue to to read whatever the tease is for what comes next. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. this. That's we do get that. We do yeah. get that. And the tease is go, radio. Go, go watch the go watch the Batman. <laughs> no, the the tease is a golden shovel to dig yourself out of the shit. He is basically uh what is the name of Dr. Jacoby in the return? Um uh-huh. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Riddler Radio is his like his like vlog he does. About digging yourself out of the shit. Hear me now. It's just another dirtbag with a podcast, is what it is. Yeah. Um, so I did not get the impression from last installment that that was the climax. I thought that was part one of the climax. There's going to be more stuff, but no, that that's really it. This is this is just a an epilogue issue, and it's fine. You, it it is mind boggling to me. Because like the last issue ended with the mayor's wife getting the Medusa mask. Yes. And then it's just like, and then she won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. Um, <laughs> it's a bizarrely constructed story. Especially since the 11 issues that precede this probably could have been condensed into like five or six. Yes. Yeah. I know we've said in the past about this, how we enjoyed the different experience of the weekly event. But if this was a six issue weekly event, I think we'd all be hooting and hollering about this at this point. But because I don't know if I'd even I I I can't I can't muster up a hoot for. (laughs) I mean, to be to be fair, all we have to do to get you to hoot and holler is to have a new Black Adam series because of a priest announced and. uh... (laughs) 
I mean, that would, us, make, that would make anyone hoot and yeah, holler. I would all of think. us are hooting and hollering about that. But, you know, but Vince, Vince really, we, we all are guilty of this, but Vince is the guiltiest of this, which is all he wants is the tease for the next thing. Yeah. And so, um, correct. You know, yeah. But this was, this was twice as long as it should have been. I thought uh, MNK's art here continues to be really good. I liked the idea of Bruce talking to Psycho Pirate and being like, you know, you don't have to be evil. Eh? Eh? And I don't know if anything will ever come of that, but that was kind of interesting. It feels like a Dark Crisis thing to me. I don't think it is, but it feels like one. Well, I, I think it is because I think that would be a fun twist on the Psycho Pirate role from Crisis. Original Crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so I think it is. I think you're right, Zach. Um, wild that it took a 12 issue weekly series kind of event to produce that. But that seems to be the one lasting thing that's coming out of this, potentially. Um, also funny that Bruce dressed up as Psycho Pirate <laughs> on top of his Batman suit. Yes, of course. Yeah. As as you do. <laughs> Wasn't there a comic recently where he was disguised as a uh-huh. as a human, and then he took the human mask off, and he had the bat collar yes, underneath? Yes, it was. Um, what was it? It was something very recently because I just saw someone tweet about it. Yeah. Um. I saw oh, that it was it was in it was in um it it wasn't a tweet it was someone in the Discord it was in the Long Halloween oh special. yeah <laughs> that's yes, right yes. yes 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 very good um yeah M and K's art's really good in this that's the one really really positive thing I'll say about this I thought it was so weird that this was an epilogue to the Tower storyline. But the falling action of this issue is mostly hunting down penguin goons who want their money back or the drugs that they were promised. (coughs) And that had almost nothing to do with the main story in the last 11 issues. You know, Mm -hmm. the penguin was kind of in the background as like a, Hey, uh, where, when are you going to make good with the product? You know, um, but that's really the only role that 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 he served in all this. And it was the main point of this final issue, which was just kind of bizarre to me um, of all the of all like the details to gloss over dealing with penguin goons would have been one of them, I would think, you know, but instead I mean, they were the focus. To be fair, if you were reading the backup, it would make a little more sense. Well, oh, well. You, you say that and I push back on that a little bit only because <laughs> you would no think that, you would think that maybe this would be an opportunity to connect the backup in the main story since they both feature penguin prominently and it, and it doesn't do that yeah. um and i also want to just go ahead and quickly say that the backup ended up falling off as well it i didn't like the ending i don't under, it was needlessly nihilistic it didn't say anything about about anything i don't think other let, than let me guess Bat- it's batman is bad still <laughs> like, I it's don't about know. how gotham is twisted yeah kind it's, of it's, yeah it, the, the it's essentially about the, the only things that matter in gotham are rich people and the, batman 
and the criminally mental ill. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, the only things that matter in Gotham. I, I My note that I wrote down specifically says a depressing ending that renders the whole thing moot. Like, there's this whole thing. And yeah. It, there's this whole push of this, which was that we have to make Batman think about everyone in Gotham, not just the mayor and the whatever. But look at the little people, right? And the book kind of achieves that and then kills that character off for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Which, I, you know, I don't know. Not every character has to be like a long-lasting addition to the, the you know, Batman mythology. But he, that character who we saw grow up over the course of these 12 issues was a pretty interesting kind of anti-Batman figure in a lot of ways. Yes. Who, who was trying to, like, do the things that Batman does. Well, no, he wasn't trying to do... He, well, in some ways he was because it like called out that he like, you know, he used children and, you know, he's trying to help people and he's doing things, but he's doing it differently than Batman. And that makes him bad, you know, and that's a really cool idea. And he, like the, the things earlier in the series about him kind of, you know, it seemed like maybe he was going to be trying to expose that like Batman was using child soldiers <laughs> or something. And it, it kind of lost that thread as well. And it just ended up coming back around and being a, a story about, you know, well, why doesn't Batman just kill the freaking Joker? Uh, and I think that's so boring. So yeah, big disappointment. Yeah. Uh, it's a bummer that this had to end this way because I think that with just a slight tweaking, the ending could have been really interesting and could have continued down the path that the first 11 installments went. And even if we never see that character again or don't see him again for 15 years, it's a cool story to harken back to. And now it just closes the door on something that had potential. So I agree with you totally, Zach. It's funny how we decided, like, we're going to read this whole issue, this whole uh, event, and we're going to keep up with it. And we have by far the least to say about this issue than anything else this week. Yeah. It's uh it's a bummer. I I had really high hopes for this this project, this endeavor and it it could not have been more mid, I don't think. Just like not not good, not bad, just another Batman story. Unfortunately, I think you're correct about that. Well, that gives us a chance to talk about the other Joshua Williamson book from this week, which is um, Rogues Number One. It's a black label title. It is written by Williamson, illustrated by Leo Max. Vince, why don't you start us off with this? I, I know Zach is the black label boy, so I expect him to rave about it, but I don't know what uh, you're going to say. Against all odds, I really, Take really a like look this. At me now. I really, yeah, yep. Yep, do that, do that one again. Play the hits. Our fans love it. Um, yeah, I really like this. Um, I think, like, not only is is Williamson's writing on point here, and uh, surprisingly focused for a oversized issue, which I find pretty rarely to be the case. Um, but man, the Leo Max art, like 
what a lived in world this feels like and just all the details packed into the corner as the best black label books do this feels like an indie book feels like a the art gives it that like underground comics feel um man yeah i really like this the story the i guess the one uh negative thing i would say about it is that the premise itself is a little bit predictable right like uh down on their luck ex rogues get together for one last job right uh it kind of writes itself but i think i think williamson is smart enough not to let that just do all the heavy lifting he does a lot with each of these characters to kind of give them uh you know this there's like a 10 or 20 year time skip or whatever that explains why everyone's like an old person in this book now um and williamson does a lot to fill in the time or the weight of the time in that time skip and give the reader like hints at what happened to uh len snart and lisa snart over the last 20 years or whatever it is and it really it really fleshes that stuff out again without really beating you over the head with it or doing too much backstory too much exposition it's it's like just enough of everything right um really smart really well done uh, what did you guys think? Um, I just want to I, I, I want to echo a lot of what you said. I think this art looks great. I think this is more fun than we all thought it would be. But I have one major bone to pick with this, which is the only story that anyone has told about the rogues in the past 15 years has been the rogues never used to kill until now like williamson <laughs> did that in his flash run that's essentially yeah. what countdown is like new 52 has a bit of that i think yep, exactly but... and the whole charm of the rogues <laughs> is that the rogues aren't like regular like they're not the joker yeah. these are just criminals who are trying to put food on the family foot on the table of their families and who are you know they're bad people, but they're not like monsters. And every rogue story we get nowadays is, but what if they were monsters? And this, like, though I was so enjoying this until in the climax of the issue where Captain Cold just starts freezing folks and then knocking their heads off. And it's like, well, he's, you know, I'm sick of playing Mr. Nice Guy, whatever he says. Like, oh, fuck. Here we are again with this shit. Like, can't we just have one rogue story I thought the last rogue story we got was that great episode, Justice League uh, Unlimited. Everyone drink because I mentioned this episode. But like (laughs) that is to me the most recent example of a rogue story being like what I would consider a classic rogue story. And I just wish that we could get back to that a little bit because I don't understand why you would want to have all of these different like. This is what makes the rogues different. This is why they're interesting compared to Lex Luthor or Brainiac or the Penguin or whoever the fuck. Like, this is, they're the only villains that really exist in this blue collar, I'm not trying to do my job, man, kind of world. And I like that. I think that's a really interesting place for villains to hang out now and then. So I am, I am bummed that we're getting yet another take on that story. 
That said, I like what Williamson is doing here, aside from that very notable omission. Zach, what did you think? Um, I I liked this a lot. Um, you, you already said, I think the art, again, is like just incredible. Maybe the best part of the book, but I, I actually wasn't too bothered by that, you know, like, I guess kind of retreading that familiar ground just because it was like the one, it was like the end of the book, like the ending reveal or like climax was that that moment with Captain Cold. And I, I thought it was handled really well. And I, I just thought the characterization was really good. And, and I kind of went into this expecting not to like it that much and ended up liking it a lot more than I expected to. Um, That's like the black label story. Yeah, especially for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm telling you, like, this is where the best stuff at, at DC is right now, I think, is in black label. Okay, that's not true. Um, it, pro- it probably is, but... Actually, maybe, yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, I think I'm going to go back and say that, yeah, I think it is true. Let I think me qualify that. I think it might be the best stuff. It is rarely the most interesting stuff. There is uh, a difference. Yeah, uh, I, I I agree with that. I don't know if Zach does, but I don't I don't know if I agree with it because I think like I think you know um, Wonder Woman, Historia, Catwoman, Lonely City, Batman, Imposter, this. I, I think that there is both like very good and very interesting stuff happening in, in Black Label. You've conveniently left out all the Harley and Joker books. Uh, I haven't read those, so. <laughs> I think that's I think that's the Black Label problem. It especially very early on, it rightfully earned this albatross as a place where we just do twisted bat bat Harley Joker stories and it's only partially shaken that off because it still feels like for every rogues we get, we have to get another Batman. And if, you know, if the deal is one, one bat related black label book for one, not at all bat related book, I'll take it, I guess. But it, it, it is disappointing. It does make you not want to praise Black Label as heavily as you might otherwise. Yeah, I agree with that. I did like the cast that Williamson assembled here. I think adding Bronze Tiger and uh, there's another character who's not like a typical rogue thrown in here. Oh, oh yeah, there's there's Magenta who I think Magenta, was like yes. a later rogue, right? right like, wasn't right. she maybe like part of the Johns rogues? I think I don't know if she was ever considered like quote one of the rogues unquote, right? Maybe not. But but you know, but used to good effect here. Yeah, and you know, Williamson did kill off a couple of them, which I think again makes sense a little bit. Um. I, I thought this is really well handled. Like I said, I just, I'm just hearkening for, I'm hankering for rather a, uh, a more genteel rogue story. Yeah. 
this this does have what feels like the requisite black label everything has to be a little darker than the main dcu would be yes um there there is a reference to mirror master snorting cocaine of course um they do say fuck a lot they do say fuck a lot yeah uh you know what you know what might have been my favorite (laughs) bit in the book was the the angel and the ape stuff where he's talking where he's talking to condiment king Mm -hmm. who's tending bar at this like villains club um yeah that stuff was it kind of serves as the uh table setting for what the heist is going to be yes yeah I, i thought that bit was really great I would also enjoy a series just set in that bar. Sure. I love that kind of stuff. Just those those fun settings. Yep. Yep. The uh, the Slam Bradley bar from uh Yes. What was what that? Was that? that was uh Oh god, I feel like the Birds of Prey were involved. They might have been. Um I feel like it was maybe in a backup in tech. It was. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Or maybe it wasn't future state, was it? Oh, it might have been. Oh, yeah, it was. It was. Yes, in the future, Slam Bradley's not racist anymore. He just runs a bar. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. If there's hope for Slam Bradley, there's hope for all of us. (laughs) Yep. As I've I've often said. (laughs) We've all uh, been saying this. We have been. We've we've been saying it. Lots of people are saying it. Everyone, even. All right. Well, let's let's uh, get off of this. Although I think we all enjoyed that quite a bit, and talk about the latest part of War for Earth Three, which is Teen Titans Academy number thirteen, written by Tim Sheridan, illustrated by Tom Derenick. Oof. Well, let me let me say. All I have to say. Tom Derenick's art on this is just really not my thing. I, I think he's usually a perfectly cromulent, not quite crumpulent, but cromulent villain. But I think in this book, his art is just woefully uh, undercooked. And I don't enjoy the visuals of this. I will also say the first thing that Tim Sheridan has done that I really disagreed with is his characterization of Wally West. I yeah. really think Wally's obnoxious. It's, I book. think it's bad. Yeah. Um, I really don't like that at all. However, I'm glad that I'm glad that Williamson, I'm not Williamson, I'm sorry, Sheridan got to write this, and it's not just the when this was when these were all solicited. I believe it was Robbie Thompson and uh, Dennis Hopeless, Dennis Hopeless writing the whole crossover. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of glad that that didn't happen because I feel like last week's Flash issue was fun. And that there was some stuff in this that pertained to Teen Titans Academy, where I feel like if if Hopeless and uh, Thompson had written these, we wouldn't get any of that. My counterpoint is I almost can't tell a difference. <sighs> I, I I think that's a bit harsh, man. Maybe, but I I, I think that I, I think you. that this I, I think that this is like a a marked step down across the board for this issue and the series it, it it feels kind of bizarrely phoned in to me 
it feels like the crossover stuff doesn't belong at all in this. Yeah, there's, at all. Th- th- there are two different issues happening here. Yes. Yes. And I was enjoying the War for Earth 3 stuff until now. And it stuck out like a sore thumb in this issue. Uh, and I don't know. I don't want to pin that on Sheridan. I also don't even want to pin it on the the other guys who write War for Earth 3. I, I just think it's a raw deal for this book that has been served a few raw deals up until now. <laughs> Um, I wish this hadn't touched the book at all. I think. Um, I think it's very interesting that we are going to get the the Gar Cyborg mashup. <laughs> that it's that it's really going to happen. I, I think we're being teased on that and it's not actually going to happen. That, that, that's my, uh, that, you, that's you my might be right on that. I think something is going to happen. It might not be that. It could be a red herring. Um, you want to know what, what my thought is it's going to be? My thought is going to be that each of them is injured in such a way that the other one could heal it. So they're going to do a brain swap. That doesn't make any sense. You, it's it makes comic book sense. I don't think so. I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm I, no, I don't. Out. I don't think that merging them together to heal them makes any sense either. Honestly, I think the way it's being presented is really weird. This again, this to me reeks of they had like Sheridan had three more issues that he wanted to write, but that got messed up because of this crossover and so we have to push stuff we had to push this forward faster than we wanted to and so certain things are getting lost in translation because of that maybe maybe that's just me giving this guy too much credit to like i i you know i've really enjoyed his early work at dc but mm -hmm. you know i I have i have no evidence to say that tim sheridan can always stick a landing Right. Maybe this is just how he writes. I don't know. But I'm, I'm wondering if we're still going to get like some kind of second volume that they're being a little coy about announcing it, it. It seems like a this book is in a really weird limbo where there is still, you know, so much story left to be told. But they can't tell it right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I also wonder if just the the tide has shifted at DC and maybe there's other people or other stories with these characters that are going to be told. And so there's just no place for this anymore. Maybe, maybe. I, but it seems like you could still, I mean, I, I could see there being two books, like a, like a, a, a Titans team book. And then like the Academy that is more focused on the kids. Well, like the thing I was specifically thinking of is well, we've referenced this a couple times tonight, but just today as we're recording this, there was the announcement of the Christopher Priest Black Adam book, and we have that like uh, stupid sexy Black Adam now who's in the Rock of Eternity with Billy, and that seems that's have nothing to do with the book that um, the Priest is writing. And I wonder if there's other things like that where there's a story to be told 
for one of these characters elsewhere that just doesn't fit here. And so the easiest way to rectify that was just to let these stories kind of come to a natural conclusion and then maybe. But the bummer of that is that, you know, for every for every black Adam out there, there is a stitch or there is a um brat, a bat pack that we're just not going to see elsewhere. This seems like the one book for those type of characters. Vincey, what'd you think of this? Nah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I kind of said it all, really. Um, I think in, in, a, in a perfect world, a book where they're rebuilding Teen Titans Academy in a warehouse and there's a Young Justice Dark unofficial club in the basement uh, full of these like darker teen characters sounds like a heck of a lot of fun and and uh, having like multiversal um, connections to the teen titans having to come across and maybe help revive uh, these couple of titans members who are potentially dying is a is a really intriguing thread too um and then i i felt like the crossover just showed up and took a big wet shit on everything (laughs) and (laughs) i ended up really disliking the issue even though it's got some elements of intrigue to it and i I just continue to be unconvinced that the book is going to be allowed to actually conclude and conclude any of these threads uh satisfactorily i guess i i mean i understand why you think you're being cynical with that but i've also read comics long enough to know that you're probably right about that (laughs) and that's a shame um i do hope that like zach said there is some sort of a second volume about this or like i would also love to see if there's not a second volume just make the teen titans book all the kids for a while there what what I think Aquaman and the trial of the Amazons is showing us is that there is a place in DC to tell stories about entire families under one or two banners. And so if we don't see Wallace in this book for a while, just Wallace can show up in the flash. That's fine. You know, um, there are lots of other characters of similar, you know, get, get a green arrow book going and make Red Arrow part of that book. Like there, there are ways to do all of that, but you're not going to see Gorilla Greg anywhere else. You're not going to see, um, you know, even the kid from Dial H, whose name is now I'm escaping me, Miguel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like you know, like give us a book with those characters because th- this is the only way we're going to get some time with them. But we'll see. All right, that brings us to our final book of the week, Trial of the Amazons, Wonder Girl, number one, written and illustrated by Joel Jones. And uh, guys, I have to, I'm, I, it brings me no pleasure in reporting this. We still have not started the Trial of the Amazons. <laughs> Even though the cover specifically tells us this, this issue, it starts. This issue ends up in the exact same place that the last week's Wonder Woman ends up, and nothing was done. Uh, Oh boy, does it end up there in a really weird way, too? Yeah, it does. Uh, talk about that, Vincey. I mean, I I had to flip from the 
last page to the penultimate page several times to make sure I wasn't missing a page. Did they not send us the full PDF? No, I think this is the full PDF. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm being incredulous. Um, boy, oh boy. Uh, well, first of all, Joel Jones art looks great throughout it this. I, I really do. If I really do writing continue was great. to. Yeah, I know it's and, and, and man, it's so close sometimes. And then it just, the real problem here for me is that there's no continuity from page to page. And there's no, obviously writers jump around all the time, but there's no sense of why we're jumping from one thing to the other, you know? Well, yeah. It, it took me a couple of pages to realize at certain points that Cassie was narrating because they're, they're, they don't do a really good job of instructing you to that. You're just supposed to recognize that the, the text box is a different color now. And so it's someone else doing it. And you know that she's investigating, but it just it's never it. Sh I'm not saying it has to be like I, Cassie Sandsmark, am investigating this crime. It just was it was everything in this issue seems like it was handled 15 percent more poorly than it should have been. Yeah, um, yeah. What, it, what it felt like to me. Yeah, there's definitely some editing that could have happened to say like, hey, what like let's let's stitch these scenes together and and move these ones over here and you know whatever. Um, what I will say is that like each page on its own is pretty much uh, breathtaking all the way across the board as far as the way that they're visually structured and and the detail and. But the problem is, is that almost none of them string together into a narrative, you know? Right. The, they're also like pages that are like visually very like stunning and like look really good, but they're basically just like pinups with like narration telling you the story that, uh, that yep. has like very little to do with what's actually on the page, mm -hmm. um, which is like, good artistry but not not necessarily great comic booking yeah uh yeah and then and then literally you have i mean this is exactly what happens cassie on the third to last page cassie perhaps realizes who the murderer is on the very next page the book just like indiscriminately catches you up on where everybody is the like night before the contest and this like poison this like the venom goop is uh crawling around poisoning people and then the last page is just and these are the champions of the trial of the amazons again and that's it like th those are the last three pages None of them have anything to do with one another and they're not even strung together by some kind of like uh, ominous, like uh, anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Voiceover narration or something. Yeah. Right. That, that would tie it all together. They're, they're just, they're three con completely separate ideas um, that all feel like they could have been the last page of this issue on their own. 
but nothing before kind of kind of led you led you into that narratively it's really wild um I, I, the only way i can describe it is i really enjoyed looking at this issue and it was really a struggle to read it as a narrative which is wild to say <laughs> especially because this is a middle piece of an of a crossover and so it's not i i think a lot of times it's harder to come up with a really original idea than it is to play your role in a in a in an event like this right like obviously when they're plotting this all out they say okay here's what's going to happen in this issue here's what's going to happen in this issue joel you have to do this in this issue but i i can't imagine what that assignment was like I don't understand why this issue is presented this way when it absolutely positively makes no sense. Mm-hmm. What is what is the purpose of constructing it with like you said Vince those three totally unconnected final pages? How does that make a lick of sense? Yeah, I don't know. I do blame editorial for a fair amount of this, but I also think that it's 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 very hard to keep not blaming Joel Jones for the writing in some of these books. Oh yeah, I don't think yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I I think yeah, someone someone should have took a look at this and and was like, "Well, wait a minute. None of this <laughs> uh strings together, you know." Um but I'm I'm certainly not placing the primary blame there. Right. Um I mean, to me, this has been the story of this entire event so far, which has just been interesting ideas rendered poorly. And I, I, I want to love this so much, and it just, it just has not done it for me yet. Last week's Wonder Woman was the closest we got to it, and I still think that's a very imperfect issue. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I just don't. I, I don't know what else to say at this point without just me repeating myself. So anybody else have anything else to say about this issue? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Vince, it's that time you dread. What's coming out next week? Yeah, I don't I don't have it. <laughs> I just uh I just I, I just don't have it. Um because when we're this far ahead of the, the game, it's um you can't it's not just a click away. Um what would that be? April fifth? No, that would be uh, September twenty. September, Se- Jesus Christ. Se- September. September. No, I'm sorry. Oh, fuck. fuck me. Uh, <laughs> March. March twenty ninth. Uh, March twenty ninth. Yes. Oh God, we're so professional. This is the part that you should. Uh... I I've got them. No, I don't. Oh, no, you don't. Where did where? Because you can't. Oh man. Because because. Because comiclist.com sucks now. Okay, now, now I've got them. Okay, what lay it on us. Um not very much, it seems like. Okay. Um DC versus Vampires number six. Um Immortal X-Men number one. That's not a DC comic. Uh, the swamp <laughs> thing number eleven. <laughs> 
Swamp Thing Green Hell number two, Batman Beyond the White Knight number one, baby. Oh, no. Uh, Batman Face Clan number one. <laughs> Shadow War Alpha number one, War for Earth three number two, Aquaman number two. No, we just, we just read Aquaman. Aquaman. We just read that. Oh, that's what it says. The date got changed. It probably got changed to f- fuck with us, maybe. I wonder. <laughs> oh, oh, DC's no. going to tell us that we can't post this. It's listed as March 29th on League of Comic Book Geeks. We um, can't post it. It's too fucked up. It's too uh, raw. <laughs> sensational Wonder Woman special number one. Oh, oh no, this isn't DC anymore. I was going to say Astro City. That was then, but that's Image now. <laughs> Because uh, DC lost that. Um, I oh yeah, Face Clan, Batman Face Clan number one that Vince yeah. mentioned. Uh, can, we, can we please read Batman Face Clan? I we might have to. It's a pretty light week. <laughs> I never thought I'd live in a world where I have to read Batman Face Clan number one, but here we are. Let's see. Let's see. That week we'll probably we'll probably talk about Immortal X Men number one and, and again not a DC comic. and Astro City. Um, and we we have to talk about Batman Beyond the White Knight. No, no, we're not. No, I, I, no. we'll talk about Shadow War and War for Earth three. We you may hear us talk about Aquaman number two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm checking DC's website on that to confirm. All right. Well, while Zach does that, I'll tell you that two thirds of us are on Twitter. He is at Wilker Fox. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. If you need to find Vince on Twitter, he is currently searching for his genetic double that was also injected with Slade Wilson's DNA. <laughs> so what 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 would what would your little clone's name be? Like respawn. What, what, what would what would his superhero name be? Oh, um, Lopaki. <laughs> that's, that's, that's horrible. That's horrible. No, I was gonna say something like a uh, uh, pervert or something like that. Uh, um, DC's DC's website says three twenty nine. Really? Yeah. Guess who's got some editing to do? <laughs> this fucking guy all right um thank you all for listening uh we will be back next week with stuff and uh yeah take care everybody bye man how about these comics though we want to talk about vomit there <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Ooh.